It wasn't all that long ago that the Boy Scouts of America were a respected organization. Uh, and it was because they taught the young men in Boy Scouts to be respectful. Uh, and, and the cliche was a, a Boy Scout somewhere helping you know, an elderly person across the street with their groceries. It was, it was serving the community. It was doing things for other people. And people, generally speaking, had a high regard for the Boy Scouts. Now, if you were in high school, you probably made fun of the Boy Scouts. But outside of that high school life, you know, the general community at large had a respect for them. And the Scout Law taught the boys things like be courteous, be kind, be clean, be reverent. Those things may have changed. But our point is that people respected the Scouts based on what they saw and what they heard from the Boy Scouts. And the Boy Scouts behaved that way because that's how they were taught to behave. As Christians, what do people perceive of the church based on what they see us doing and how they hear us talking? How do they hear us talking to and about each other? Do we give the world reason to have a positive view of the church based on the way that we love each other? As we continue our discussion this week of John's command, or Jesus, God's command through the Apostle John in 1 John, uh, to love one another. As we continue that thought, we want to think about love one another by talking respectfully. Talking kindly. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13 and verse 35, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, this is how the world is going to know that you are my disciples. Jesus, Jesus says, the world is going to know that you are a Christian if you love one another. What's the opposite of that? The world is not going to know you are my disciples if you do not love one another. And so we want to think about how we show our love for one another by the way that we speak and behave in love towards each other. This morning what we want to do is we want to think about the impact of Christ in our life. We want to think about how we talk. We want to think about how we express our life. You see, the Boy Scouts uh, act a certain way, or they used to act a certain way, because they were taught by that scout law, this is how you're going to act. But for a Christian, you act a certain way because your life has been changed by being a Christian. If you have your Bibles open, look at Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 17. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and 5. We want to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 to begin with. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Notice what Paul says here, Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for practices of every kind of impurity and greediness. 
but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your formal, former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on a new self, which is the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Paul says, look, guys, as Christians, you ought to conduct yourself differently from the world because your life has changed. You've put away the old self, and you've clothed yourself with a new person. And you conduct yourself differently. You realize that uh, you are walking uh, in step, or ought to be walking in step with God, uh, having been created in righteousness and holiness and truth, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And again, here, just like as we looked at in our Bible class this morning, the idea of spirit here doesn't mean Holy Spirit or inner spirit, but the word spirit can also sometimes in the Greek mean attitude, the attitude of your mind. You have renewed the attitude, the thinking of your mind. And so as a Christian, you've done away with all the previous stuff in your life. And you're trying to live differently. No longer, as the Gentiles do, verse 17. But you have put away your old life and you've put on something new. Live, he says, in the same manner. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Live in the same manner as God in Christ. Verse chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. And so it says, look, guys, you're children of God. As, as, as Christians, you are sons and daughters of God. And if God conducts himself in love as a child of God, you want to carry that in your life. And he says, let me give you an example. Jesus. Jesus who left his throne room of, in heaven and came to this earth, lived as a human being, susceptible to all the temptations that human beings have, and yet he was willing to die for people who had rejected godliness in their lives. All for the purpose so that those people could have an open door back into a right relationship with God. He says, if this is what God has done for you, if this is the type of love that the extent of God's love for you, therefore, as Christians, you need to walk and show people that same type of love. Show other Christians that same type of love. And so he says, chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And so what this means is we set up the impact or we set up the context of the impact of Christ in our lives. The, the impact is that we have changed our lives. And it ought to come out in the way that we behave. But now Paul's going to say it ought to come out in the way that we talk. And specifically the way that we talk with each other. And so let's think about the way that we talk. As we come back to chapter 4, Paul says, okay, guys. 
This is what you need to do. Look at verse 29. I'll start in verse 25. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and, do, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. As Christian brethren, we have a responsibility to talk with each other honestly. In truth, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. And then he says in verse 26, be angry and don't sin. And so as Christians, sometimes we need to speak to each other in an honest fashion. And yet he also says uh, that we ought to conduct ourselves with love for one another. But at least here he says, speak honestly. Do not let your anger go. We need to talk with each other in a way that is honest with each other and yet caring for each other and not in an angry or bitter way. You see, sometimes we, we have anger and we want to just kind of shove that down somewhere. You know, kind of like the old guy out in the swamp that didn't want anybody to find his money and so he took all his money and he stuffed it down in mason jars and buried it in the sand. He was there all the time. That doesn't fester up enough, does it? That little, that's those hidden jars of money never fester up in our lives enough, it seems like. But you see, anger is a little bit different because you stuff it down there and you think you can put it away where no one can find it, but it's there the whole time. It's kind of like the island of Kiowa in Hawaii. It's all festering up now, isn't it? And just like that mountain, just like that volcano, it's going to blow up. And so Paul says there are times when as Christians we need to speak truth to one another and yet we need to do so in a way that's not angry. And we need to deal with that anger because if we don't, it's going to blow up. It's not going to be a good thing. And so Paul says be angry but do not sin. Watch the way that you speak. Watch the things that you do in your anger. He doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry and sin not. Do not let the... Son, go down on your anger. And so there's ways that we talk to each other. And then what he says, verse 29, he says that no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of re redemption. Let all, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This is a great passage. Uh, verse 29 begins with that, that phrase that most of us, I suppose, can quote, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. What does it mean to be unwholesome? Another way of translating this Greek word is absence of rottenness and decay. Now think about that. We, we sometimes think about wholesome food. You know, wholesome food is, is food that is good for you. And so that's our imagination. That's our concept of, of what it is to be wholesome, something that is good for you. But this is unwholesome. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. What is decaying, rotten speech? It's something when you, when you take it in, it makes you sick. None of us would eat rotten, decaying food, right? 
because we're aware that it's going to make you sick, right? You know, you don't leave your turkey out uh, on the uh, kitchen cabinets for a couple days and then say, you know what, I really think I want a turkey sandwich this morning, this afternoon, right? Because you know, as soon as you eat that turkey, it's going to make you sick. Now, I know there are some people in our world, vegans, who want to eat food that has died because they don't want to kill anything. But even a vegan, I don't think, would walk up to some apples that have been sitting on the ground and they're starting to uh, rot and say, oh, lunch, right? No, I mean, they get something as soon as it falls, right? But they don't get the rotten stuff. I mean, nobody goes up to uh, a bunch of cheese that's all moldy and say, oh, queso, right? You don't do that because you know it's going to make you sick. And that's exactly the imagery and the language that Paul is using here. Don't use words that are rotten or decaying because they're going to make your soul sick. And Paul instead offers a contrast. And he says, instead of using words that are rotten or decaying that are going to make people sick, in contrast, use words that build up. Look at it again, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Edification. That big word we sometimes hear. People used to say edification means you go out and you're excited or you're pumped up. Well, it can mean that, but that's not all that it means. It actually means to build something. We are building something as God's people. We are building his church. We ought to be building each other up. And so Paul says, instead of using speech that decay, that is decaying and rotten and only makes people sick, instead, you use speech as a Christian that builds people up according to the need in that moment. You know, sometimes in the church, there are times for us to say, you know, I, I think we need to not do X anymore, but we ought to do Y. Uh, or, you know, we try to encourage someone uh, to do something. Or maybe we need to encourage someone that maybe their skill set's not where they think it is. Right? And you got to be careful in the way that you do that. But you see, you're trying to build folks up. Uh, there may be people in the church that have been Christians for years and years, and, and they've mastered a lot of things in their service to God. And, you know, they see someone that's a brand new Christian. And maybe that brand new Christian is just learning how to do things, just learning, figuring out how to, to serve in certain ways. The, the person that's been there and doing that for a long time can get really frustrated and say, ah, you're not doing that right. Let me show you how to do that. That doesn't do any good. It takes patience and kindness and, and courtesy, and courtesy uh, to uh, help someone grow. And, and so Paul says we need to use speech with each other that builds each other up. And then he says, look, guys, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And you might look at verse 30 and say, where does that come from? How am I grieving the Holy Spirit? You're grieving the Holy Spirit, he says, uh, because the Holy Spirit is the one uh, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we got to go back to chapter 1. Flip with me to chapter 1 just briefly, please. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, and that is referring to Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him 
with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. In other words, Paul says at the beginning here of Ephesians chapter 1 is, is look, when you became a Christian, you were sealed. That is, you, were, you had a mark of God placed on you, so to speak, that said, this is my son. This is my daughter. And Paul says that seal was kind of given to you as a down payment, as an escrow, if you will, a surety of the inheritance that you have coming when you get to go to heaven. And that seal marks you as belonging to God. And so when we come back here to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, look, guys, if you start bad-mouthing, degrading each other, using rotten speech with one another, and you're talking away to one another that's, that's making everyone sick, you're grieving the Holy Spirit that says, I'm there to seal that person as a son or a daughter of God. Look how you're talking about it. Does it pain you? Those of you that still have children at home, when you have one child that says something mean and nasty to, to one of your other children, and pretty soon there's this bickering back and forth. Does that grieve you? It grieves me. Right? And so it grieves the Holy Spirit to see God's children treating each other with that way. And so Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This is let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's not how we're supposed to talk to each other. And then he points to an attitude, and he says, along with all malice. Malice is the same as hatred. Folks, is it possible in the church that we have such anger and such meanness towards one another that it turns into malice or hatred? Not in this church. I haven't seen anything like that in this church. But folks, it can happen. And there are some congregations where people are just backbiting each other and there's jealousies and there's anger and there's slanders and there's... God is not glorified by that. So let's bring that back around to what we're thinking about this morning and that is they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, when we're Christians and we talk that way, the world around us sees that and they say, hey, those folks are calling themselves Christians. How can they act that way? It's all a facade. It's all hypocrisy. It's all whatever. And we can tell ourselves, well, they're just saying it's hypocrisy. Maybe it is. We have to be careful. When we love one another, that comes out in the way that we speak to each other and the way that we act with one another. We need to be careful about the way that we talk. And when we look at this, again, this idea of let all bitterness and wrath you know, that the word for wrath uh, can literally be translated outbursts of anger or rage, blowing up. Have you known Christians that will talk to each other in that way? I mean, just really blow up and rage at each other? That's not godliness, folks. That's not what God wants us to do. God doesn't want us to talk to each other with rage and anger and wrath and those sorts of things. Paul says, put all those things around you. But verse 32, he says, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Our standard of forgiveness is in the fact that we have been forgiven by God. God knows everything, right? He sees everything. He knows all our good parts. He knows all our bad parts. And he sees all that. He says, I'm going to forgive you of that. And as Christians, our standard of 
interacting with each other is that we have that same level of forgiveness for others. We're going to blow it from time to time. We're all human. We make mistakes. We have bad judgments. And as Christians, we forgive each other. There's a learning curve for all of us, all the time. That's not an excuse to do things wrong. But Paul says we need to forgive each other. But then notice what he says. He starts stepping on my toes here as we move down, uh, starting uh, in verse 4 or so, but we're going to pick up in verse 3. He says, But immorality and impurity and greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather are giving of thanks. For you know for certain that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Verse 4 is hard. Verse 4 is hard. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. The, the filthiness, okay, that's, you know, that is easy to get, get by. But the silly talk or coarse jesting? I mean, how many of us enjoy cutting up? How many of us enjoy, you know, getting little digs on other folks? You know, sometimes you tell a funny joke, you seem witty, you think, hey, I scored some points. You know, and at the beginning of a relationship or at some stages of a relationship, yeah, that, you know, that's okay. But pretty soon those things start to hurt. Pretty soon you start to think, oh, here comes this guy. He's going to tell another Aggie joke. You know, something along those lines. Uh, and, and coarse jesting. You know, the silly talk. At, at the beginning of this passage, this verse, he says filthiness. Now, there are some people that just use filthy language all the time. Uh, and, and obviously, I think most of us as Christians recognize, you know, we're not going to do that. But then the silly talk and coarse jesting, those are the jokes that undermine and, you know, try to just kind of poke fun at folks. Folks, that's not love because you're embarrassing somebody. You're humiliating somebody. And, and it, I know because I'm one of those guys that likes to tell jokes and, and be funny and that sort of thing. But sometimes you got to cut it off because that's undermining someone's dignity. That's undermining someone's character. And that's not acting in love, even though at the time you may not think anything about it. And you don't know. You know, sometimes you tell a joke and, and you think, oh, they know I'm just joking around. Well, how many times have you heard that? Oh, they know I'm just joking around. But how come they run every time they see you? You know? As Christians, we can't behave that way. And so Paul says, get rid of all these things. That doesn't mean you can't ever joke around or whatever. It doesn't mean that you're sentenced to a life of knock-knock jokes or the cleaning joke book, you know, for children. Uh, but we need to watch the way that we joke with one another and the way that we talk uh, with each other. Instead, Paul says, look, guys, we need to talk, again, verse 32, with kindness, being kind to one another, and tenderhearted. So how do we express our love as Christians? Number one, we avoid speech that decays, speech that is rotten, speech that is decaying, speech that, that just makes people sick. We have to avoid that. We can't talk like the world talks. That's things like gossiping and complaining. Parents, I want you to think about this. Do your comments on the ride home from church. 
undermine your children's perception of the church. Oh, I can't believe the song leader did this. I can't believe the preacher did this. Oh, can you, did you hear that prayer that that guy led this morning? That just went on and on and on. I never say that about the sermon, by the way. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, we use words and we think our kids aren't listening, but yes, they are. They pick up on those things. When you're at the restaurant, are you saying something bad about someone else in church that someone at the next table says, man, when were those guys at church? They will know you're my disciples when you love one another. We need to be careful about the way that we talk. Secondly, we need to speak truth in a, in a, in a truthful manner, but in a loving manner. We have to resolve conflict. Now, again, in this particular congregation, at this particular stage of our congregation, I don't see that being an issue. But, but at some point, there's going to be conflict because that just happens in, in relationships. And you have to learn to be able to resolve conflict and to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm not sure about this or I'm not sure about that. Or, but be able to resolve it and talk about it truthfully with one another and yet not let your anger get the best of you. How do we speak to each other? If we are truly changed as God has changed us uh, from following self, we're going to avoid heated exchanges and threats. We're not going to lose our temper, but instead we're going to be able to speak to each other in truth and love. If people see us speaking in a respectful manner, out of love, perhaps they may seek what they can do to change their own lives. Folks, today the Boy Scouts might... Uh, seek to help boys learn to live a life built on certain values that we share. But as Christians, we are called to have a changed life, a life that reflects the love and sacrifice of Christ. And our speech speaks volumes about whether or not we have accomplished that change. If you're here this morning and you need to have that change in your life by being united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.